Three quarters of the way through the summer, let's check in. You having a good summer? You having a good summer? Pretty good? All right, I've been having a really good summer, especially loving our summer uh, in the Proverbs together. Uh, we've just been digging through the book of Proverbs and the scriptures, uh, just really rich biblical uh, wisdom literature. And so we've been doing that together, but we've also been doing that individually at home. We're reading a chapter a day. So July and August have 31 chapters uh, or 31 days, and the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters, so you can read the chapter that corresponds to the day uh, that you find yourself in. And so uh, I've just been enjoying reading Proverbs by the campfire, uh, in the back deck, uh, by the beach, in different places, just taking in biblical wisdom. It's a, been, just for me, a very refreshing uh, summer. Uh, let, me, let me tell you about another summer, though, if I can. I was a preteen, uh, and I hit a milestone in a young man's life. Uh, as a preteen, my dad said, Joshua, that's what they call me, Joshua, I want to let you ride the lawnmower. It's a big day in a young man's life when you get to use the lawnmower. And as a suburbanite growing up, uh, it wasn't just any lawnmower, it was a riding lawnmower. And if you know anything about a riding lawnmower, you can hop on that thing and you can bomb it around. And so I had, uh, I had a few bikes, but really essentially for me, this was my first set of wheels. Uh, the riding lawnmower, and uh, it had five speeds, which means you always and only ride it in fifth gear. It didn't matter if you were taking a turn, it didn't matter if you're going over a ditch, you're always in fifth gear. And so from that moment forward, I was always the guy to volunteer for our family to mow the lawn. I was happy to mow the lawn and bomb around our big old yard. It was a good summer. But there was one other thing uh, that made lawn mowing especially great uh, in the summertime, it was the days that you were tasked with mowing the lawn, but you'd step outside and there were big ant mounds in the yard. Now, I know that doesn't happen in this region of the country, but where I'm from, uh, every so often, you'll step outside and there will be ant mounds that have emerged in the lawn, these big mounds that ants have built up overnight. And so what that means is you, if you have a riding lawnmower, it's time to get on that riding lawnmower and plow over the ant mound and send the ants flying. It's very fulfilling. And so love doing that. And I always found that it was fascinating after mowing over these ant mounds to come back to these flattened out mounds and check out what the ants were up to. And they were very quickly starting right back at, at building those mounds, thousands and thousands of, of fire ants feverishly working to build their new mound with a, a very clear mission. And so what we're going to do today essentially is the same thing. We are going to squat down and we are going to look at the ant. Maybe it's not something you thought you'd do in church, but we're going to look at the ant. In Proverbs chapter 6, it's exactly what we're told uh, to do. Proverbs chapter 6, 6 says this. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the ant this morning. And we're going to think about her ways, what she does, and we're going to be wise for doing that. So today what we're talking about essentially is long-range planning. It's our last week in our summer series through the Proverbs that we're calling Living Well because I believe if we take in God's wisdom beginning with the fear of the Lord, it helps us to live our lives well. And a life well lived is the best way for us to thrive and then to impact other people. And so it's been our Living Well series. And as I've studied the Proverbs, one topic that just keeps appearing over and over again in this book that is a vital component to us living well on this earth is long-range planning. 
especially in the area of personal finances. And so as I've studied the Proverbs, uh, I have found just over 100 Proverbs that talk about money. And so I think I'd be doing you a disservice if we go through the Proverbs and never talk about money before we wrap this up. And so we're going to wrap it up on our last week with money and long-range planning. Now, uh, look at me. I'm fully aware that we get uncomfortable when it comes to talking about money. The truth is I scold my kids uh, when they talk about other people's money. Uh, They walk into a big house, and it's not uncommon for my kids when we walk into a big house to look around and then ask the host, are you rich? And I said, shh, 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 no, 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 don't say that, face palm, right? Or this summer, uh, they were talking to my brother and based on some of the gadgets he had, uh, they assumed he was loaded. And so they asked my brother specifically, point blank, how much money do you make, uncle? And I said, no, 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 you don't do that. That's a no-no. We're trained not to talk about money. However, according to the Bible, it's a very important topic. We see more in the Bible about money than heaven and hell. Why? because money really reflects our heart. How we use our money reflects our hearts. Additionally, uh, the reality is that that churches value discipleship as we should, but but for some reason, uh, personal finances is such a huge part of our lives, but we fail to disciple people in how to use their money in a way that honors God and will best serve them and the people that God's put in their lives. And so here we go. We're going to talk about money this morning. I uh, hope you're there by now. Proverbs chapter 6. If you need a Bible uh, of your very own at home, uh, you can grab one around the room and bring it home. We've also got it on the church app. The Proverbs uh, chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 6. Go back to that same verse. Proverbs 6, 6. Here's what it says. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest? And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So again, just over 100 Proverbs addressing money and wealth. And this really is the lengthiest treatment of the topic in the Proverbs. And and really the first thing that we need to establish as we think about money is that the issue is not how much money or wealth we have. The issue is always what we do with the money or the wealth that we have been entrusted with. This is established in the fact that here in the Proverbs, the illustration is coming from ants. They are tiny. They are seemingly insignificant. You can step on an ant. uh, You can run them over with a lawnmower. uh, But there's wisdom to be found in the ant. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 24 uh, says, There are four things on earth that are small, but they are exceedingly wise. And then it goes on and it talks about we can learn from the ants. We can learn from the rock badger. We can learn from the locust and we can learn from the lizard. The point is, is that these are things that are very tiny, they're unimpressive, but at times they can act with greater wisdom than us. And so uh, there, there are people with little money and little bit of possession, but they are wise in how they use their wealth. And there are people on the other end of the spectrum with all kinds of money and all kinds of possession who don't act wise with regards to their wealth. And so God is not concerned with the amount. God is concerned with the what. He's concerned with what you do with what's been entrusted 
to you. Uh, just a, a really helpful point in case is in Mark chapter 12. Jesus, you may know the story, is sitting in the temple. And he's sitting, it says, across from the temple treasury where they would collect money to, to meet needs uh, for the community and uh, to do the, the work of the ministry. And he's sitting there. And it says that while he's sitting there in the temple treasury, there are people, rich people, putting in large sums of money into these receptacles. The, uh, the other way to translate large sums in the original language in the Greek is it could be translated many coins. So picture uh, a jar full of coins dumping them into another empty larger jar. These larger receptacles were often referred to as trumpets because these receptacles had these trumpet-like mouths on the top of them where you would dump in your coins. And so imagine rich people coming by and dumping in many coins into these trumpets, it was often very much a, a spectacle. It sounded like a, a slot machine at Vegas, just ching, 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 ching. You can imagine everybody's looking and everybody's going, wow, praise God, look at all the great things we can do with all this money that that woman gave, that that guy gave. We can do so much with all of this money. But, but catch what Jesus says when he, he, he's sitting there, uh, he, he says, I'm not impressed. Essentially with his actions, he says, I'm not impressed with, with the amount. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, and we'll put it on the screen for you. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Did you hear what was potentially a play on words by Jesus there? He says, don't do what the hypocrites do and sound the trumpet, which we immediately go to. Dun, 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 I'm about to give. That's what we're picturing. But he's also playing on words. Don't sound the trumpet, the, the trumpet of the receptacles before you go and be so impressed by that. If you're doing it to, to give and to be seen, he says, you have your reward. And so back to Mark chapter 12, the rich people give many coins, large sum. But then right after that, it says that a widow comes by, which meant she was poor in that day and age, and she drops in two small copper coins. Ting, ting. And no one would have noticed, and no one would have cared. But Jesus did. Right after the rich people, she comes along, says nothing about the rich people, but she comes along, and he goes, guys, guys, guys. And he gets all of his disciples, he calls them together, and he says, did you see that? And I just imagine these guys yeah, that rich person that put in all that money? No. Did you see what that woman did? And he exalts this poor woman. He says, they gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty with faith. They gave the leftovers of what they had, and she gave her first and her best. The issue isn't how much. The issue is what. And so... We're going to look at the, the tiny ant and exercise wisdom as we look at the ant. Understanding that it doesn't matter if the numbers that your mind goes to as we talk about money this morning, it doesn't matter if it's tens of thousands of dollars or if it's ten dollars. It's not the issue. It's the heart. It's the faith. It's the wisdom with which you use your wealth. God sees the wealthy people. God sees the, the little people, the tiny little ants, so to speak, and everyone in between. You got it? You with me? 
It's kind of a long preface there, but I had to go there. Now, specifics from Proverbs 6. As we're in Proverbs 6, I want to show you three things it says that God commends that are marks, I believe, of living well, specifically in the area of, of finances. Uh, and, and I want these for you to be used to evaluate your own financial wisdom, but then also use these things as action steps to, to act upon as you leave today. And so here's the first of three, if you're taking notes. Three things God commends from Proverbs 6. The first one is hard work. God commends hard work. Verse 6, he says, go to the ant, O sluggard. And so notice he's comparing the ant and the sluggard. As you study the Proverbs, you'll see a lot of attention given to the sluggard or the sloth, uh, which are incredibly cute, by the way. Has anybody ever noticed just how cute sloths are? They're really fun to look at. They're almost as good as looking at photos of kittens online. I mean, sloth photos are really, really great, but they're, they're just lazy, slow animals. They're just so slow, and they're so slow that green algae is known to grow on them so that they can start to have this hint of green all over them, and then they just lick it off really slowly as a snack, as nutrition. You compare that then to the ant and they're flying around, they have a mission, they're, they're often carrying things on their backs that are much larger than them. Ants are known for working hard. And so today, I, you know, I think today many people think about sweating, they think about working hard, and they think something is wrong. When, when maybe sweating and working hard actually tells us that there's something that is right. Because God told us this is what would happen, this is how it would be, is that from the beginning, when God created mankind, he created us to work. A lot of times people associate work as something that happened after sin entered the world. But we were created to work and keep the garden before sin entered into the world. He says later, by the sweat of your brow, by the sweat of your brow you will work. But it's been there all along. We are designed to work. That's why oftentimes when people uh, get stuck at home because of illnesses or because of, of you know, health issues and things like that, uh, they often find themselves kind of struggling through depression, being stuck inside because they're not working, right? That's a, that's a difficulty. And so you have to move and God has designed us. It's been there from the very beginning. Now this week I came across a really cool quote from Muhammad Ali. I don't actually quote him very often, but I like this. He said, he said I don't count my sit-ups. I only count when it starts hurting because those are the ones that count. Difficulty challenge, sweat, it's not bad. It's to be expected in this world if you're doing life correctly. And so like Muhammad Ali, embrace it and say, this is when it's, the good stuff is starting to take place. I had this friend in high school, his name was Justin. And uh, Justin noticed that there were some cute girls on the cross country team. And I was uh, one of the captains of the cross country team. And so uh, Justin said, hey Josh, I'm gonna join the team. I'm like, hey, that's cool. So he joins the team. And uh, initially the girls were kind of impressed that there's this new cute guy on the team. And uh, he was a handsome fella. I think I'm allowed to say that. And uh, they were impressed with that for just a minute. And then he started running and they, it was over. I mean, he was, he was horrible. They saw just how bad he was. And so uh, after a few races, Justin came to me and he says, hey, Josh, you gotta help out because uh, I stink at running. What, 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 do I, what, do I, what do I do? And I said, well, let me just kind of watch and I'll, I'll notice the next race because I finished like 
10 minutes before he did on a 5K, mind you. And so I had plenty of time to watch this guy kind of running. And I remember watching him coming the final stretch towards the finish line. And I noticed Justin is smiling. He's waving to the ladies. He crosses the finish line and he just walks right up to the girls and starts chatting it up with the girls. And later I had to pull Justin aside. I said, Justin, you know why you stink? It's because you're giving it no effort. Like it should hurt. If you're doing this right, it should, it should hurt. It should, be, it should be difficult. Racing a 5K, if done right, is, is not comfortable. It's not comfortable. We're to work hard, right? In the race of life, we're to, we're to work hard. And so in the workplace, Christian, in the workplace, we got to work hard. That millennial who bounces job to job to job because I'm not being fulfilled. That may be the case that you need a job that is fulfilling, but it also may be the fact that, that you're surprised that work is hard. Like it's hard. That's how, it, that's how it's supposed to, to be if you're doing it right. In the home, we're designed to, to work hard. We Americans, we love our two-day weekends, right? Well, you can thank Moses and Jesus for your two-day weekend because we're in a Judeo-Christian culture. God gave us in the Old Testament law, he gave us the Sabbath day in the Ten Commandments, Saturday. But then Jesus, God in the flesh comes to earth and he lives our life perfectly and he dies in our place on the cross and then he resurrects and ascends into heaven and that happened, his resurrection happened on a Sunday. So Christians began to now worship, Jewish Christians began to now worship not on Saturday, but on Sunday. Enter into our culture, Judeo-Christian culture, we just say, hey, we'll take both of them. We'll take Saturday and Sunday. But understand that that's not the norm across the, the globe. It's, it's not normal. Biblically, we are given one day. So here's how I work this in my mind. This may be obvious for some people, but maybe not so obvious for other people. The way I work it in my mind is, is, is I'm not saying that you should then commit to working six days a week at your job, or if you only can work five days a week at your job and your office closes on Saturdays, that you should then go get an additional job so that you can work on Saturday. Here's what, the way I work it in my mind. They were in a very agricultural society in the, in the scriptures. They couldn't afford, obviously, to take off both days. That, that wouldn't work. Additionally, for, for many people, there wasn't a distinction between home and office. Home was the office. You did your work at the house and in your yard was your farm to provide for your family. You stepped outside and you were right there. And, and so I think of it this way. Monday through Friday, essentially five days, you were working hard at your job. And then Saturday, you were working hard in your home. And then Sunday, you are Sabbathing, you are with God's people, you are worshiping, you are refreshing, you are recharging, you are giving to the ministry. Sunday is a non-negotiable. Let's talk about Saturday, that, that sixth day for, for, for just a moment. On this day, since there is a distinction between office and home, on this day, this is the day that you're fixing the leaky faucet. This is the day you're, you're working on the car. This is the day you're making home repairs. This is the day you're balancing budget. This is the day you're mowing the lawn. This is the day you're prepping the meals for the following week. This is the, 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 the kind of thing that for, for the previous culture was kind of built into their, their six-day work week. But for us, we can put it on 
a Saturday. Again, for some of you, this just kind of seems obvious depending on your upbringing. But for others, this is that very basic practical discipleship. To be a man of God means you care for the affairs of your home. To be a woman of God means you are a a Proverbs 31 woman. You, You work hard, you get this stuff taken care of so that you can honor God with your Sabbath. So we we work hard in the workplace. We work hard in the home. We also work hard in the ministry. Do you have for yourself a, a personal ministry? And if you do, and you should, as a follower of God, you work hard at your personal ministry. Now, here's what I think has kind of begun to happen, is that for many followers of Jesus, they begin to think, well, well, ministry shouldn't be challenging. Yes, it should be challenging. Ministry is challenging. You don't walk through the doors of this place, which is not some super religious place. It's a public school, mind you. The church is the people. You don't walk through the doors of this place and all of a sudden all the challenges of earth go away. No, it's still challenging. It's, It's challenging and hard to reach people to connect people and to disciple people, right? It's, it's hard to turn this infrastructure of a school into a church on Sunday morning to make all of this work and to get the children taught and to get people uh, welcomed well and, and, and fed. And so here's, here's what happens. If I can just give real talk for just a minute. What ends up happening in, in churches and, and even in our church is a small number of people carry the bulk of the load. A small number of people are the ones carrying the bulk of the ministry. And if that's you, you're the small number of people, let me just say, we are deeply grateful for your service. We're deeply grateful for how you serve here in the life of the church. We believe you're serving under the example of Jesus. While other people enjoy the ministry, but do not contribute. Let me say, that should not be. In the scriptures, it is very clear that we are the body of Christ and we all have different roles and we all serve for the ministry. It should not be 10% of the ants doing 90% of the work. If you go to the ant mound, they're all bombing around. They're all serving. They're all giving. They're all part of it. So... If you are here and you're not plugging in and you're not joining the mission, look to the ant. They're all doing it. They're all serving. This season, I want to challenge you to join a team. One, because this is what God's called you to. And two, as a way to serve your brothers and sisters around you who are exhausted because they serve so faithfully to carry the massive bulk of the load of the ministry. We work hard in every area of life. We work hard at home. We work hard at work. We work hard for the ministry that Jesus has given us in every area of life. Colossians chapter 3, 17, it's, it's my life verse, uh, says, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We do it all in a way that reflects Jesus. Ecclesiastes will tell us 9 and 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Church, outside of church, home, neighborhood, school, your student, whatever you do, do it with all of your might. I would challenge you to set out wherever you are to be the hardest working person in the room. 
the Proverbs, all throughout the Proverbs, and those of you guys who have been reading through them have probably noticed this, it speaks a ton about the sluggard. It speaks a ton about slothfulness. But the ant is a hard worker and is wise, and as a result, lives well. Okay, here's the second thing that God commends. First, hard work. Here's the second thing. You ready? It's self-discipline. God commends self-discipline. Look again at verses 7 and 8. It says, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she, the ant, prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. I love this. This is great. The ant does all of this, prepares her, her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest, does all of this without a chief, without an officer, without a ruler prompting them to do so. The ant works hard. The ant puts away food for later seasons without being forced to. What do we call that? We call that self-discipline. When you do something without somebody looking over your shoulder, challenging you over and over and over again to do it. And the Lord here is commending self-discipline. Now, we could write this off and just say, well, you know, that's not my personality type and, you know, the type A people, right, Josh, you type A people. But I I understand this naturally, this comes a little more naturally for some people, self-discipline. But Galatians chapter 6 tells us that we can all have self-discipline. Galatians chapter 6 tells us that as followers of God, we have the Spirit of God within us and that the fruit or the outworking of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and does anybody know the last one? Self-control. That with the Spirit of God inside of us, we can exercise self-control. As you increasingly submit your heart to the Lord, you will be able to lead your inner self. Notice, notice with regards to, to self-control that, that the ant had the self-control to, to put some things away. He, the ant doesn't eat everything. They only eat what's, what's needed and then put some of the, the summer fruit away for harvest, which is fall. And so self-control and self discipline is something that needs to be had for all of us in the area of how we utilize the resources that God has entrusted to our care, the, the resources that we earn with our, our wages. And so listen, living well includes, for all of us, operating within a budget. It includes living within your means. It includes being self-controlled with regards to withholding spending at times where appropriate. You have to exercise restraint sometimes. And you can't exercise restraint for what you need in the next season if you don't know exactly what you need in this season and think through what you're going to have in the next season. And so let me, if, if you're not here, let me encourage every single one of you to create a personal budget. You have to think ahead. That's what the ant is doing, is thinking ahead and create a personal budget Begin to assess your spending. Think about, okay, what am I spending now? What do I need? What needs to be cut? What does need to be put away? I think general thinking these days is just, if you make more, spend more. If you make less, spend less. And we don't know what our means really is. And so we live within this wide means that maybe we're not putting stuff away because our means today is actually larger than it really should be. Think of this. Think of this very carefully in your own life. Proverbs eleven fourteen tells us 
Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselor, there is safety. Here's what I'm taking this to mean with regards to what we're talking about today. Is that if you don't know where to start in creating a personal budget, get an abundance of counselor. Ask somebody. Somebody in the church will be happy who's got experience with budgeting. Uh, get counsel uh, in, in regards to creating a personal budget. Get a, a financial counselor, a financial planner to think, help you think through how you're going to spend. Here, here's how I think through it. I have three things that I think through, and it's very simple. This is exactly what we teach our kids. And so if you're like me and you just need simple, this will be simple for kids and simple for you. Three things. Give, save, spend. Say it with me. You ready? One, two, three. Give save, spend. That's what we teach our kids. This is a good thing to think through. First of all, give. The very first thing we do according to the scriptures is we, we give. Like the widow, she was commended because she gave. And the, the rich man gave out of an abundance. The rich man gave leftovers. This, there, there are really two principles here. The principle of first fruits and the principle of tithing. First fruits. According to the scriptures, God wants us to give the first, the first of our fruits, the first of our harvest, the first of what we earn. That means we don't give out of an abundance, overflow, leftover like the rich people, but we, we don't want to give God our leftovers. We want to give God our, our first and our best, the principle of first fruits. I think that applies not just to money, that applies to our energy, that applies to our our mental attention, that's why I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I go be with the Lord in prayer and in the scripture we give him our, our very first, the principle of the first fruits. The second thing is the principle of tithing. Now, in the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, God's people were instructed to give a tenth. That's what tithe literally means. Now, let me be very careful for a moment to say that the Old Testament law is no longer binding on us as Christians. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the perfect, final, sacrificial lamb. And so it is not gone, it is completed. Does that make sense? The law is completed. And so those laws don't specifically apply to us unless they are repeated in the New Testament or there's principles to be taken from them. And so the Old Testament law is not binding on us. I don't want to be legalistic about this. But I will point out that in the New Testament, God's people continue to give, to meet the needs of the people in their faith family and outside their faith family and to accomplish the mission of the church. And so when it comes to, to giving as New Testament Christians, I believe that, that a tithe, it was a principle in the Old Testament that's to be aimed at for us as Christians. Again, it doesn't bind on us like this. I don't want to give you like some specific number, but, but we read the scriptures and we see principles that point us to God's heart. Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10, if you were to flip left, here's what it says. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So Proverbs, again, we've stated this all throughout our series, are general principles for living. And the principle here is that if you will give God your first fruits, the blessing that comes from you stepping out in faith and giving God your first fruit will far outweigh the sacrifice that you make. This is not saying, as you might see some person sitting in the gold throne on television with too much makeup on their face, this is not saying, if you will give to God, you will get rich. That is not what he's saying at all. What he is saying is that there, there's blessing that comes that will far outweigh 
the, the, the struggle, the challenge that comes with, with, with giving. It may be financial blessing. It, it may be uh, familial blessing. It may be the blessing of the faith lesson that you learn and how your faith grows through giving. It may be purely and solely eternal blessing that you don't see until the other side of the grave. It may be some other kind of blessing that God gives you. But the blessing that comes will far outweigh, will far outweigh the sacrifice. Can, can I just establish something so that you know that I'm not like clueless here? 10% for a Bostonian is crazy. Am I right? Am I right? Can you nod your head and say amen, preacher? Like that's crazy. Pastor, do you know the cost of living in Boston? Do you know how much it costs just to get a one bedroom studio? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy, but can I, I speak from personal experience? My, my family, we've always set out to, we, we said we're going to start at 10 and we're, gonna, we're just going to grow it and just continue to grow that number. And I'm telling you, God has been so good and he's been so faithful and the, the blessing far outweighs the sacrifice and the sacrifice just becomes normative. This is what we do. We're God's people. This is a joy to give. Honestly, I'm at the point now in growth in my faith where I look forward to pulling up the laptop and digitally giving to the ministry. I look forward to that. It's, it's a joy for me. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Now again, many pastors don't go here. They don't talk about giving at all. But my thinking is I'm gonna talk about giving, not because we, we, we're like, please, we need it, we need it, we need it. Yeah, of course, it would be great, right? But the Bible says that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. The reason we talk about giving is because I don't want to rob you of the blessing that the Bible says comes when you step out in faith and give to his work. Proverbs 3 makes it very clear. If you will do this, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so, give first. Give, save, spend. Let's think about saving for just a moment. What did the ant do? She put away, she saved, she put away for the next season. You need to resist spending everything right now so that you can be prepared for the future. We don't know quite what the future may hold. You're gonna probably need to get a home. You're gonna have unexpected expenses that will come your way, whether it's healthcare issues or, or car issues or something happens on your house or educational issues or caring for your family. By the way, the scripture says that if you don't care for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. I mean, it's pretty strong about that. We're to care for family financially. The Bible talks about passing on an inheritance, Proverbs 13, 22. I won't read it, but you can look it up. It speaks to leaving an inheritance for your grandkids, any grandkids in here say, please, I pray that grandma was following Jesus in this one. Save for your future, save for your, your family's future. Compound interest is your friend, right? Save, give, save, and then the last one is spend. You buy what you need to live. Now listen, it doesn't mean you have to be cheap. It doesn't mean you have to be cheap to be a Christian. Be smart, the Bible calls us to exercise stewardship God has given you a mind and so for some people that means I'm not going to buy a cheap beater of a vehicle because that's just not a good investment 
because I don't want to have to keep putting money into a beater. Other people maybe have a different philosophy. They say, I buy a beater because I don't want to go into debt, and then I'll just keep putting some money into this. I'm not in debt. People have different thinkings on that. The Bible doesn't say you're in sin and you're right or you're in sin and you're right. Just check your heart and what you're doing. You're thinking through it. You're being wise. You're exercising good stewardship. Check your heart as to why you want that nice car. Is it for show? Is it to be seen? Is it for status? Why do you want the house? Is it so you can be hospitable and and make a refuge for your family? Or is it so you can live in a a neighborhood that gives you status? I mean, be, be careful. Check your heart, right? Spend within your means. The Apostle Paul says that he learned in whatever situation he was in to be content. Here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, when I was doing really well financially, I was in sin because rich people are sinners. But when I was really struggling financially, I was holy. He didn't say that. Or he didn't say, when I was over here and I was struggling financial, I was in sin and and God would have blessed me if I was, no, he says, wherever I was at, God's in control, whatever place in life I found myself at, I learned to be content. Get to a place in your heart where you don't need stuff You don't need possession. You don't need wealth for comfort, for status, for identity. That should come for us as followers of God in Jesus. In Jesus. Okay, three things God commends. Hard work, self-discipline, and then lastly, let's wrap it up rather quickly with this one. The third thing God commends is patient planning. Patient planning. Verse eight, look again. The ant, it says, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The ant is thinking about the future. The ant is thinking not just about what's in front of her right now. The ant is thinking about what is unseen, what is not just here in the moment, but what comes later. If you will work hard now, you, you see payoff later is the principle. You will see payoff later. If you don't see payoff in anything else, you will see payoff at least, at the very least, in your character by working hard from a young age. Parents, do whatever you have to do in a very cush culture that we live in to ensure that your kids learn the value of hard work. Give them some chores, give them some stuff to do, make them take the trash out, make them contribute, teach them how to work hard. We work hard now because of what's coming in the future. We, we give now knowing that we're making an eternal investment into the kingdom of God, an impact for Jesus that we might not see on this earth, but we'll see in eternity. We, we save now to meet needs that are unknown. We don't, some of these needs we don't even know that we're going to have. We save now. Some of these needs are needs like when you age and you need to be able to live or you have family members who you want to be able to care for. You, have, you want to be able to be generous and so you save now to meet needs later. You start the compound interest rolling now even if it's just tiny because it compounds and you will see the return later. But ultimately more than anything, because again, money is tied to the heart. More than anything, we prioritize Christ right now. Prioritize Christ right now. We plan right now for all of eternity. We plan right now 
for all of eternity. Scripture says that we are to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy it. Because all the stuff we get on this earth, it's going to get moth holes in it and rot away. Rust, it's going to burn down. It's going to be gone. This is the word, these are the words of Jesus. He says, we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We start now. We patiently plan and we, we wait with patience for the payoff that we might not see tomorrow or the next day or the next week or the next month or maybe not till all eternity, but we'll see it. And we're patient. We prioritize what Jesus calls us to prioritize. And so as we, as we wrap all of this up, as again, I told you at the very beginning that these three things, these three things for us need to be an area for, for self-assessment. Assess yourself in the area of hard work. Are you characterized as a person who is working hard? As a person who, whatever you do in word or in deed, that's trying to encompass everything that we do, whatever we do, we do it in a way that reflects Jesus. Whether you're a pastor or a plumber, you're gonna do whatever you do in a way that brings glory to God. Whatever you do, you work hard at it. We have self-discipline. We're able to have self-discipline because of the Spirit of God within us. The fruit of the Spirit, He gives us self-control. And so maybe for you there's an area that, that you're just not exercising self-control in. Maybe it's with regards to your finances. Maybe it's regards to some other area. But, but use this as, as a, a place to assess and evaluate your own heart. And then lastly, patient planning. Think through what it is that, that you need to sit down and, and to plan for. The ant had a goal, the ant had an objective. Maybe you with a spouse need to get down and think through what, what is it specifically that we need to really come up with a plan for. Maybe it's we, we, we've always wanted to be able to own a house. How do we get there? Maybe it's a, a personal budget. You, you've never created a personal budget. Maybe it's planning for, for your children's future, planning for how are we gonna raise our kids to know and to love and serve Jesus planning for your own life. I, I've not been pleased with where I'm at in my walk with God for, for some time now. So what are we going to do to change it? Make a plan. Maybe it's a plan to get involved and committed into the life of the church. But, but come up with that plan and, and exercise patience to see the payoff. Use this as a time of assessment. Use this as a place for you to take these and, and exercise uh, the next step that you need to exercise. And so let me pray for you in this time, and then I pray that we'll leave here just very practically going to exercise wisdom as we've looked at the ant this morning. Let's pray.